Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Street Toyota. As one of Amarillo's most highly respected dealerships, Street Toyota isn't just about selling cars, but about serving Amarillo's transportation needs. They approach every day and every customer with a servant's heart. Stop in for a visit or view current inventory at streettoyota.com. Also, Hey Amarillo is made possible every week because of community support. If you want to help support the production of this show or become a sponsor, check out patreon.com slash heyamarillo. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Today's guest is Valerie Gooch. She's the executive director of The Park, the Panhandle Adult Rebuilding Center. The park serves Amarillo's homeless population, not with food or shelter, but by helping them find their identity, helping them find their purpose. It's a safe place for homeless people to come during the day to, well, to to rediscover themselves. Valerie co-founded this organization in 2014, and before that, she spent more than a decade as a children's pastor. So that's a pretty abrupt career change. We talk about her path to Amarillo from Lubbock, why Amarillo is such a generous city, and about why it's so important to have a place where people will call you by name. So here's Valerie Gooch. Valerie Gooch, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about getting to do this. Well, good. I'm, I'm excited to have you on. You're one of the people that uh, I've had on my list of potential guests for quite a while. And so as I work through the list, I'm always excited when I, I get to talk to one of those people that I've, I've thought of for quite a while to, to speak to. Um, I want to talk about what you do and what the park does. But before we get to that part, I'd like to just sort of introduce you and establish you in this area. Okay. So. Tell me how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. Well, we came to Amarillo about 25 years ago. My husband is a civil engineer, and his company wanted to start a branch here in Amarillo. And so he, we came here for him to run that branch. And Where did so you come from? We came from Lubbock. Okay. So not very far so away. So still yeah. in West Texas. Yes. Did uh-huh. you grow up in that area? Yes, we both grew up in Lubbock. And you would think that Lubbock and Amarillo would be very similar, but they are not. <laughs> So we have really grown to love Amarillo and love it here. So you came to Amarillo, you moved to Amarillo as an adult. Yes. Did you have an opinion already established of Amarillo before you came here? Really, I thought it was going to be just like Lubbock, and it is It is not. It's very, very different from Lubbock, and it took me a while to get used to its People are much closer here, and I felt like it was a more small of a small town culture, and I couldn't get used to people knowing things about me so much quicker than than they did in Lubbock. It just um, it felt like much more of a small town than I anticipated. Why do you think that is? Because the geography around Amarillo and Lubbock is not that different. The obvious difference is tech, mm-hmm. and that's the big difference. Is, is that do you think what makes it yes. gives Amarillo less of that? big city, nobody knows each other kind of vibe? It definitely is. It's, it, it is Texas Tech. And that, I mean, you know, but when Texas Tech is in session, the, the population of the city is raised by, what, 40 or 50,000 people. And, right. and uh, it just is, and there's just a different culture with that college environment being there and the university environment. And so I didn't expect there to be such a difference. Okay. So you came to Amarillo. What, what happened next? What did you do here? Well, I have uh, actually, I was a children's pastor and I did that for, I guess, about 
20 year, 15 to 20 years. I w- was a children's pastor at uh, one church here for two years and then another one for 15 years. That was what I did for a long time. What did you like about that? The people. I. It's so interesting. Once I quit being a children's pastor, I had to figure out who I was because I had done it for so long. And what I realized is that my passion is for people to know their value and for them to find their themselves and understand that they can be amazing. And I desire that for every person I come across. And so I found myself doing that with the volunteers that I worked with. I found myself, of course, doing that with the children that I taught and worked with. Um, I had several mentoring groups where I worked with college students or young moms. And um, when I started that journey of figuring out why I did what I did, that's the reason. I really love people and really care about them finding themselves. Now tell me about the process of transitioning out of, of that longtime career as a children's pastor. What, what led to a change? Well, actually, um, I got released from the position that okay. I had held for a long, long time. And so I was forced into finding myself. And I will tell you, it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. And it took me a year, I feel like, a good year of just beating down some walls and beating down some paradigms that I had built to get down to all the way down to who I really was and discovering why I did what I did and what my gifts and strengths really were. And uh, it was probably one of the most valuable journeys I've ever been on, but also one of the most difficult. Because there's not a direct career that you can go into after having been a children's pastor. I mean, there's there's an element that's a little bit like being an elementary school teacher or Mm -hmm. or working with children, but it's it's not the same. So it's not like you get released from an engineering job, you go find another engineering job. Uh You kind of had to start over. Um, Yeah, I did. And I basically had to start from scratch if I really was going to find a job. I have a degree in counseling, but that's not what I wanted to do. I knew that. And so I really spent a year trying to figure out who I was and what did I want to do and where did I want to go from there. And uh, So what did you figure out? I figured out that wherever I was and whatever I was doing, I would be trying to help people get to their next level, trying to help people be all that they can be and more than they ever imagined they could be. Wherever I am, I'm going to be doing that. Okay, so tell me, tell me about your first your first workplace. Then after, okay, after I you went did that. to work at another nonprofit here in town where um, they work with the homeless and they also work with uh, addiction recovery. And so I had um, access to both of those worlds, and both of those worlds were things I had never not been exposed to before. So it was a uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me and one that I cherish very much. Tell me about some of the things you learned then working with uh, the homeless population, working with people in addiction recovery. Well, what I learned from the homeless population is why I'm doing what I do now. I realized that they are people really seek- seeking relationship, and they really are hungry for someone to know them, and they are hungry to be known. And where I was before... I was over the donations, and so I only got to be with them during the times we were handing them things and giving out mm-hmm. things. But over time, I could see them starting to meet me in the eye and look at me, and I could see just that engagement wanting to take place. And I just had a passion to know them, but I also knew that they wanted to be known. So that's what I learned working in that place and with the homeless. And then um, with 
the people that were in the addiction recovery program probably the same thing. They're just they're just trying and they just want to be known and they want so badly to be heard and to be valued. Before we talk about what happens at the park, uh, I'd like to draw on you know your counseling background and and your understanding of you know that that people want to be known because I think a lot of listeners might think, well, you know, the, the greatest need of a homeless person is they want food or they want shelter. They, they want, you know, this, this hierarchy of mm-hmm. very immediate kinds of needs. But what I hear you saying is that there's, there's a deeper need beyond that, and it's that need for connection or yes. that need to be seen as somebody other than just this person on the street. Yes, it's a very, very deep need. And, and it's so deep that when... Um, when we have people come into the park and call them by, we call everyone that comes in, we call them by name and we sit with them and we talk with them and begin relationship with them. You can watch a tangible change happen in their countenance and in their expression, just in that brief time and in that brief interaction. And so connection is so important. It brings, we're, we're created for connection. We're created for relationship. And if we're lacking that, there's, there's just a huge void that we continue to try to fill with other things. You know, Amarillo has a, a number of organizations that work with homeless people. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of options when it comes to finding shelter, to finding a, a hot meal. But did you see that there was something lacking in that, that deeper need, that, that desire to be known and understood and to, to have relationships? Yes, that's, that's why we started the park, because there are wonderful organizations in Amarillo. I think Amarillo is one of the most philanthropic, caring communities around. And so we have wonderful agencies taking care of people that are homeless. But there was a gap. And there was a gap in that there was a place for them to go during the day and in that place to find relationship and to be productive. And so we are filling a gap and we're doing something that no one else is doing, but we're also not duplicating something that the other agencies are doing. Okay. So tell me, you know, for, for people that don't know the park, tell me what happens here. Well, when someone walks in the door, they are greeted. And if we don't know them, we go up and introduce ourselves to them and show them around. And if we do know them, we just greet them and welcome them. When you come to the park, um, there's a tables for people to sit around. And there's a lot of wonderful things that happen around tables. Lots of conversation and lots of relationship. And so we have um, projects and activities for them to do when they come in. A wide variety so that it can meet the interests of whoever comes. And so they find something to do. And it might just be coloring a picture, but it might be building something or it might be um, putting together a project that is, there's an example there for them to put together. We have soldering and we have wood, all different kinds of things. And as their hands are busy, they become more free to talk. And the conversation begins. And as the conversation begins, it's not just a one-way conversation. It's not me or one of our volunteers just asking a lot of questions, we're talking and we're relating and they're, they're finding out about me just like I'm finding out about them. And so in that relationship, I would say we're making friends. Friendships are happening, very unlikely friendships, but wonderful friendships. And so as those relationships happen and we're able to communicate and get to know one another, it allows us to take the journey with them. And so sometimes they're on a journey to just stay sober. 
And so by coming to the park, we can encourage them and we can encourage them to stay and to be productive and just being busy with your hands helps them with right. that as well. But we can also encourage them to do to take the next step. Maybe the next step is going into recovery program. Maybe the next step for someone is to actually fill out a job application. And so when we're there to walk the journey with them, because we have relationship with them, we just continue to encourage them. There's so many hurdles that a person that is homeless has to face. And I can't imagine how they continue to, to get up and get up and get up mm -hmm. after the, they get seemingly knocked down so many times. But because we have relationship with them, we can keep reminding them, no, this is, you can do this. We know you can do this. And I'm, I'm so sorry this has been so hard, but go try again. Go apply for that other job. And, and it's amazing how much success we see just because we're connected with them and we're walking with them. And um, what's interesting, even after they leave the park, they still come back sometimes. Some of them that have homes come as often as maybe once a week because it helps them to find the, the anchor that allows them to be out there again. Some of them come by after a year or months just to say, I just wanted to let you know I'm doing good and mm -hmm. I just wanted to see you. And those, those are the, one, the best ones. And uh, it's just a reminder that these relationships aren't just while they're here. They're relationships that would continue on. One of the things that struck me, uh, I heard you say once, was that when people get into that, that cycle of homelessness where they are, are struggling to find the next place to sleep or the next meal, and it's just over mm -hmm. and over those really basic needs that, that they can kind of get locked in to a cycle where they don't think of anything besides hitting that next box. That's exactly right. And that by finding something as simple as creativity here, you mm -hmm. know, they're coloring or doing a puzzle or, or something like that can, can sort of unlock their personalities that they've shoved aside because they haven't had room to think about anything else. That's exactly right. Um, when you're homeless, you do become so enveloped in what's, how am I going to, where am I going to sleep? Where am I going to take a shower? Where am I going to get clean clothes? Those kinds of things. It becomes your identity. And so you become the person that wherever you go, someone's handing you something mm -hmm. or someone's giving you something. And so that becomes your identity. And there's a lot of shame attached to that. And so you're right. When they come here and not only be, have relationship, but start being productive, it's very interesting. It's like their brain wakes up. And, and you, can, you can also see that in your eyes. And you can see them starting to say, I didn't know I could do this or I forgot I could do this or just it's almost like their brain opens up and possibilities start opening up and they start saying, realizing I don't have to stay here. I am capable. I can do this. I can move forward. There is a next for me. What are some of the other things? You, you mentioned the tables. I, I know that there are also classes mm -hmm. and things that happen here. So talk to me about some of the other elements of the park. We have a couple of classes a day and um, the classes are also very relational, mm -hmm. but they're a very wide variety. We are very dependent on volunteers. So our classes a lot are around whatever our volunteers want to teach. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a wide variety of them, but our members really do enjoy the classes. And we have a recovery class every week. Uh, we have a financial class once a month. We have um, Goodwill comes and teaches a class every week. We also have a gentleman that comes and does a discussion circle every Monday morning. He used to work at um, San Quentin, where he would work with the prisoners, mm -hmm. and then he worked with their victims as well. And the point was for reconciliation. Wow. 
And so he, um, he's wonderful and he's, he comes with a subject and he has what he calls a talking piece and he passes it around. And the point is for not only them to be heard, but for them to take the opportunity to hear other people. And that's a very powerful class. And uh, we, we have craft classes and how to write a resume classes. We have all kinds of classes. But we find that when they have those classes to go to, um, again, it opens their minds to opportunities that they hadn't thought of before. And it also strengthens those relational skills that are so important when they start getting out and getting out of that cycle of homelessness. So tell me about a maybe a, a typical process for someone, um, because I get the idea that you don't have a lot of really long-term members at the park because they come here, they get involved, maybe they wake up, they mm-hmm. attend classes, and eventually they get to a point where they can get a job or they can start to, to rent a place to live or something. Right. So tell me, like, how, how does that work as a timeline? Well, um, it's interesting. There's not an official timeline. We usually see people rotate through about every three to six months. It's about the normal of what it takes. But since we're not a program, it's hard to... You're not saying you've been here for three uh weeks, time to go do something. (laughs) Exactly. Um, What we do is we take everybody where they are and we help them move to their next. And so when they come in, it's the first part is just getting to know them and finding out where they are and accepting them for where they are. It's, it's a non-judgmental zone, and our, our members say that all the time. They feel like they can come here and not be judged. Now, someone's next may be to stay sober one more day, mm-hmm. and so we help them do that. By coming to the park, um, they can stay sober. It's safe, and it's peaceful here, and so they're next. We keep walking with them until maybe they're ready to go into a rehab program, and so that, it, that depends on who they are. What we have found with people with addictions is sometimes it takes multiple, they have to have multiple chances. And so they might come in here one day and stay and be sober and then relapse. And so then they might come in the next time and be high. And Mm -hmm. we'll have to say to them, you can't stay, come back when you're ready. And so that's a huge part of what we do is they never run out of chances. They can always come back. And so it really depends on how it looks depends on who they are and where they are. We have some people come in that they haven't been homeless very long. They lost their job. They lost their house and they're ready to get going. And so they'll come in and they just, I just need to find a job. And so we can point them in the directions of the people that can help them do that. Or we can tell them places we know, and they may be here two days, mm-hmm. you know, it does. So it depends on where they are and what they need. Some of them just need the peace and the safety Um, We had one member come that was so scared, she just shook like a leaf and cried. And so she had to first of all feel safe. Mm -hmm. And then she had to find herself. And then she had to find some confidence. And so it took her over a year to, to move. I mean, every step she took was moving forward. Every step was her next. But it, she was here over a year, but she now is in an apartment. She now is a, a member of one of the churches of one of our volunteers that she got to know, and she's living independently. But it took her a while. So what it looks like depends on who you okay. are and where you are. And you mentioned the, the idea of it being a safe place. You know, if listeners don't understand, like if, if you were to go to uh, someplace that's feeding meals to the homeless, you can't just eat your meal and then sit around for the next four right. to eight hours waiting for the next meal. You know, you have to leave and 
So what you have often are a bunch of guys sitting across the street waiting for the next mealtime. Exactly. And what this allows you is a place to come during those in-between hours where you can do something that maybe doesn't seem productive if you're out framing houses, but is productive for a homeless person who might otherwise just be sitting on the sidewalk if you're doing a puzzle or something like that. And that safety, here we respect you, here you can do something that has some value to it, is a big part of what you offer. It's it's a very big part. And the, the problem is, is that if you are homeless, everywhere you go, it's chaotic. Um, Imagine sleeping in a shelter with 50 other people, and you're, you're dealing with people that are mentally ill. You're dealing with all different kinds of personalities. Um, it's just hard, and it's difficult. And, you know, you're having to shower with how many other people, mm-hmm. and it's, I can't even imagine. So there's chaos there. And then if you're out on the streets, of course, it's very chaotic. And if you're forced to be on the street during the day, where do you go and what do you do? Well, even if you're sitting in the park, you're probably just waiting for someone to tell you to move. Exactly. Yes. And so there's no place where you belong. That's a very good way to put it. And so to come to a place where where you feel like you belong, I hear a lot of them say, this is my family. This mm-hmm. is this is where I, I can I feel that I belong. And they call it their safe haven. And because it is peaceful here. And if someone loses their temper or is high or something like that, we can escort them outside. And because we have the personnel to do that. We can do it in a respectful way and maintains the peace in this building. And it's a, it's very, very important for them for not only to find their peace, but to find themselves to move forward. I wanted to ask if you could tell me any stories about people who ended up being homeless. Because I, I think a lot of people have maybe a preconceived idea of who homeless people are. Mm-hmm that they've been doing it for 30 years or 40 years. That's just their panhandlers. That's how they get by or they're drug addicts. But that's that's not always the case. I mean, you've actually met people and gotten to know people, and they have very different backgrounds right. from what we might expect. Yeah. I, I would like to, before I say that, I would like to say, yes, there are many different ways people become homeless. But in my mind, it doesn't really matter how they got there. Okay. Because they're still very important, and they're still people, and they still deserve and desire to not be here and to not be homeless. They still deserve and desire to move forward and to go to their next. And so even if they have been homeless for 30 or 40 years, there's there's still something that they can improve upon and that can climb out. of. Yeah. And then they can become even, um, you know, more become respectful members in our community. I see that happening. Maybe they don't have a home, but they have, they have changed and now they, their comportment is different as they go out into our community. And so, you know, that the goal is not necessarily to get them a home, but the goal is to help them respect themselves and to respect those that are around them. But yes, there many of them are here because of addictions. Many of them are here because of mental illness. But there are a lot that are here just because of bad circumstances. We had one man that was here who fell off the porch and broke his leg, couldn't pay his bills and lost his house and ended up at Salvation Army. Wow. And uh, he was in a wheelchair because there was a lot of complications with the break in his leg. And uh, we had uh, we have one gentleman here who speaks five different languages. He has two master's degrees. And uh, he's lived in countries all over the world because his father was an ambassador. Wow. And so, yes, there are many different types of people here, all kinds of people. But... My heart is that it doesn't really matter how they got here. They are valuable and they are to be shown value. The last 
year or so in Amarillo, homelessness has been a pretty big issue and a contentious issue mm-hmm. um, with a lot of disagreements on tent cities and where they can stay. And it's gotten very political. I, I wondered if you might just speak to something you mentioned earlier, that Amarillo really does have a lot to offer homeless people. And as a community is very, very generous. I mean, what are some of the things that you've seen maybe that have, have surprised you as you've gotten into this work? Well, and I've heard homeless people say this. There is no way a homeless person could go hungry in Amarillo. Really? And Yes. And it, they're so generous and so kind. And if um, someone was telling me that the, someone was upset because there were mattresses along the side of the street. And she said, you want to know why? It's because someone drove by and saw them sleeping on the sidewalk and went and got them mattresses so they wouldn't have to sleep on the hard sidewalk. So we have a very caring community. Even the things people don't like yes. result from some form of generosity. Yeah, exactly. But we also have, because of that, we have so many different agencies that take care of their needs. And there really is no reason for them to go hungry or to be without shelter or to be without clothing or any of those things. Yes, you might have to, you know, do the things they ask you to do. You might have to stand in line or whatever it is. But there are agencies that fill every one of those needs here in Amarillo. I I heard you tell me once um, in, in talking to maybe someone who had arrived in Amarillo after being homeless in, in other places and was just amazed that so many of the businesses here didn't immediately make him or her, you know, leave. Right. They, mm-hmm. you, you walk into a bank and they would say, oh, the restroom's over mm-hmm. there, instead of just shoving you out the door. That, right. that there's even that openness and caring perspective from a, a business environment. It's true. I mean, it's really true. And even as you see Amarillo's downtown progressing and the businesses and things coming in, there's still a respect and a kindness that comes from the people in Amarillo. And, and I don't think that's normal. I think it's unusual. And I think it's a wonderful unusual about our city. And uh, so I have people that come to me and say, I business owners that come to me and say, I have someone that keeps coming into my business and I don't know how to help them or I don't know what to do. Do you have some suggestions? It's not how can I how can I get them out of how here? Can how can I get rid away? of them? It's how can I help them? And I hear that more than I do any of the other. What would you suggest just for you know the average person, you know, driving around Amarillo, you see somebody who's homeless. What are ways to help them? I mean, is is there an appropriate response? to somebody who asks you for money or, mm-hmm. or something like that? Um, I I don't think giving them money is the answer, but I do think the appropriate response is to introduce yourself and find out their name and um, try to get to know them and see what their need is. Now, that you have to be careful about that if you just meet someone on the street because a lot of them are, are manipulating you, so mm-hmm. to speak. So I think the best thing to do whenever you meet someone homeless is just to introduce yourself and find out their name and not necessarily try to help them. Um, You can refer them to the agencies that do help them, and you can also offer to call one of those agencies for them if if they don't have a phone. But I wouldn't take them there or give them money. I would just show show them value and treat them as a person. And I think that's where the change begins to happen for them. So if, if someone wants to get involved at the park, what, what opportunities do you have for someone? Oh, uh, we have so many, volu- so many volunteer opportunities and every kind of personality, no matter what your schedule, you can fit into the park. Um, it's very flexible and we have people 
that are homeless coming in and out all day long. And so we have volunteers coming in and out mm. all day long. And our main need for volunteers is for you to come and sit down at the table and have conversation. And if you want to sit down at the table and crochet while you talk, or you want to sit down at the table and color while you talk, you can do that. But the main thing where the magic happens is when our volunteers come and sit down and get to know our members. I mean, compared to other things, that's a pretty easy volunteer job. It is. But you know what I find out is so often we as human beings want to help. And so we want to give them something and we want to do something for them. Well, I think that makes us puts us on levels and makes us a little bit higher level because mm -hmm. we need to give you something, you poor thing, you don't right. have anything. Whereas if you come into the park, we are all on the same plane. When, when you walk in, you won't know who the volunteers are and who the members are. And I love that. Hmm. And so that I think that's where the magic not only happens for our members, but it happens for our volunteers as well. The first thing we need is volunteers. And you can come and stay all day. We have people that come on their lunch hours. You can come and stay for 30 minutes or you can stay for four hours. That depends on your schedule. You can come once a week or you can come every day. Also, if you find that you have some free time, you can drop in because it's just like someone's home and um, you, you drop in, you come in to see your friends. And our volunteers that are here a lot, when they walk in, they walk around the room, greet everyone, um, find out you know, what's been going on and how they're doing. It's just beautiful to see the relationships. What year did you start the park? We opened in November of 2014. Okay, so at about the four-year mark. Almost four years, yes. you remarked before we started recording that you've just now sort of gotten to the place where you feel financially solvent. You know, you're not struggling month to month to mm -hmm. see if this organization can continue. Um, what kind of dreams do you have for the future years, the coming years? Oh, my dreams are very big. I uh, We already are at the point that we need to expand. Because this is a pretty small building yes. I mean, where it's mm -hmm. located. Yes, and we are at the point that we need to look at spreading out and getting a bigger building or spreading out um, in the property that's around us. This is a great location because it's in with, within walking distance of the resources. But, so we have to already look at that. But I think that we need other parks. And whether we need them here in Amarillo, I know other cities need them. And so my dream is that we can help other cities start places like the park and start filling this need and filling in this gap that is so huge whenever there's a population of homeless people. Is this something that you've seen anywhere else? No. It just kind of sprang to mind and developed because you saw the need. It, it wasn't you trying to mimic another model someplace. We actually tried to find a model to mimic when we got the idea. We Googled it and researched it and tried to find someone else that was doing it, and we couldn't. There might, there might be now, but when we were doing it and starting it, we couldn't find anybody else. And so I do know there's a need out there, and I'm just very passionate and hopeful that people do catch on and that people do, even if they duplicate it without me knowing about it, I right. still want it you to don't, happen. You don't feel ownership no. of, of the model. I, re I don't. I, I think it's just, well, to me, it just makes sense. And I, and I do think this is, you know, for lack of a better word, I think it's what God's doing. 
Um, because when I talk to people and to churches, I see them saying, yes, that's right. That's exactly what needs to happen. And the fact that people are already hungry for that and already wanting and he- willing to hear about that shows me that that is a movement that's taking place already. And so I do believe we're going to start seeing more of them. And of course, I'd like to be involved just because I love it. But more than anything else, I really just want there to be more of us. So over the past few weeks and months, you've probably heard a lot about local car dealerships um, that, that haven't exactly been doing things above board. I'm super excited to be sponsored this week again by Street Toyota, a dealership that's known for doing everything the right way. They're a longtime Amarillo dealer. They have a consistent reputation for serving customers, for having high ethical standards, and for putting the community first. If you're involved in the nonprofit world at all, it won't be long before you encounter the generosity of Joe and Laura Street. And if you interact with Street Toyota, it won't be long before you discover that this is just a different kind of dealership. They they keep their promises, they listen to their customers, they respect their customers, they work hard to resolve customer issues, and they hold their employees to the highest possible professional standards. They do business with a servant's heart. That's why I've heard so many stories of people who buy a new or used vehicle from Street Toyota once, and then they just decide they're never going anywhere else again. They will always use Street Toyota. So you can check out Street Toyota's inventory at 45th and Sonsi, or visit streettoyota.com. Okay, we're back with Valerie Gooch of The Park. Valerie, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you'd like. So the first one is not a question I've asked any other guests. Is there a particular individual or story of homelessness, and, and maybe a good story of, of getting out of homelessness, that, that has had a big impact on you personally? Um, yes, this is quite, it's a little bit of a long story, but it tells a very powerful story for well, me. Well, this is a good format yes. for it because I don't have any limits here. Okay. A so. um, couple of years ago, my sister was diagnosed with cancer, and it was a very fast-growing, very rare cancer, and they gave her about a 4% chance of survival. And so the members at the park were very aware of what was going on. I traveled. She lives in Lubbock, and I traveled back and forth from Lubbock every three weeks to sit and sit with her during her chemo. And all they knew to do was just to give her very powerful doses of chemo. And during that time, the members believed with me that my sister would be healed. And we kept getting bad report after bad report after bad report. And they started calling her a four percenter. Hmm. And they prayed for her all the time. And I would have people come up to me and say, how's your sister? And um, I would say, how do you know? And they would say, oh, somebody turned it in in our church. And they were going all over the city, putting my sister's name out there to pray for my sister. And even now, members that come in that were there at the time, the first question they say is, how is your sister? And so she just kept getting so many bad reports and um, her health declined so horribly. And she even, MD Anderson even got to the point that they said, well, there's nothing else we can do for you and um, told her to go home and check into hospice. And her doctor said, had said, let's try this one more thing. And he gave her an immunotherapy. And uh, I am happy to say that she is healthy and well and doing great. She's a miracle. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that as uh, that 
a lot of it's due to the prayers of the members here at the park. But the most beautiful part of it is um, she had to have a scan last spring. And I told the members that I would be gone for that day and told them what I was doing. And so when my sister and I were sitting in the little room waiting on the doctor, I got on my phone to look at the cameras here at the park just to see what was going on and to see how many people were here. And when I got on the camera, they were standing in a circle praying for my sister. Wow. And so these are the kind of people that I get to know that I would not have known if it weren't for the park. And so it is my... Oh, you're emotional talking about yes, it now. It is my greatest privilege and honor to uh, be get to walk beside them, but to get to know them. I've been so inspired by them, and they have taught me so much. But um, I think that's my best story as to date. Well, that's a good story. <laughs> it's a I mean, good and story. It, it calls to mind what you said about there being level ground here. It's not one person coming in and saying, I'm the person here who's going to help you, right. a homeless person. Mm -hmm. But it's you being here and the people you've come to serve are also serving your family and exactly. praying for your family. And both sets of people have something to learn from each other, to receive from each other. And I think that's pretty profound. It, it is very profound. We had an intern here this summer, and what she told me when she left was that the members were so encouraging to her about going back to college, about going to college and doing well and what, you know, and they, and what classes she was going to be taking. But that's where her biggest encouragement came from, was from the members here at the park. Hmm. And so it is level ground, and it is a wonderful dynamic and a wonderful relationship. Okay, so uh, switch gears. Okay. What's your all-time favorite Amarillo restaurant? Um, right now, I think it's Crush. It's okay. very close, and they serve great lunches, and they serve great dinners. And I find myself going there quite often. Did you go to Crush as often before they moved into the new building? I did not. Okay. Yeah, I went a few times, but this one's way better. What do you like about it? Well, I think I like the space mm -hmm. a lot, but I think the menu's better. But just both of those things. I really like, I like the outdoor patio. I think the outdoor patio is a lot nicer. And the inside is way nicer. There's just, I like the separate bar and the separate restaurant area. And the atmosphere is wonderful. What does this area have too much of? Road work. Common answer? I bet so, <laughs> yes. Um, do you want me to do, give another answer? No, that's, okay. that's a fine answer. I mean, yeah. that's, that's not surprising to mm -hmm. me. I know it's for our good. And I know it means we're growing and progressing. But... I would love to drive at least a mile or so without an orange barrel or cone. <laughs> that, I understand Yes. That. What does this area not have enough of? Rain. Yeah, we need yeah. more rain. We need it badly. This, uh, this is the time of year we're recording in the fall when sometimes we get those really, really heavy rains mm -hmm. or several days of rain. I think everybody's just waiting for that to happen. I hope so. I actually got caught in one of those really bad rains last fall and floated down Bell Avenue. <laughs> mm -hmm. That could yeah. happen. When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? I think it's when we first moved here. Really? Yes. So 25 mm -hmm. yeah. plus years ago. Yeah, we were just wanting to see all the sites when we came and saw them. And you, the you haven't time. had occasion to go back? We have not. Okay. Yeah. Apart from your own, what local nonprofit do you love and support? I would say my church. Okay. Yeah. What I, church is it? Uh, we go. I go to Messiah's house. Okay. And I I love it, and it, it's a wonderful place of loving people and people of all different backgrounds and types of people. I think they're just very good at loving, and they're very good at speaking truth, which I'm all about. And so um, I'm a very strong supporter of them. 
How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? Well, you know, I used to describe it as a great place to live, but I wouldn't want to visit there. But I am, I'm changing that because I think some wonderful things are happening. I love what's happening downtown right now. And I think that what's happening downtown is also spreading to the rest of our city. I mean, we're getting wonderful new restaurants and so many fun things to do. And I, what I would say about Amarillo is it's a great place to live. And the people here, I think that's what I would want to talk about the most is the people are great. They really, really are. We have a few people that are not so nice and that have been quite vociferous lately, Mm -hmm. but they're the minority. The majority of the people in Amarillo are, they they believe in Amarillo, they believe in people, um, they believe in kindness, and they're very generous. Last question, what's your go-to Amarillo coffee shop? Palace Coffee. That's that's the downtown coffee shop. It is. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I have lots of meetings there and see a lot of people there, and I can walk there. Now, were you a fan of Palace before they moved downtown? Well, I'm a fan of Palace because I'm a fan of Patrick and Crystal. So I would say yes. Okay. So that concludes our eight straight questions. Uh, Valerie, I like to end the show just by asking my guests to endorse something. So what is something locally that you would want listeners to know about or to visit or experience? I would like to endorse Caroline Niece's Cerulean Gallery. I think her gallery is beautiful. I think she has a wonderful vision for the gallery, but also for our city. I think she's brought a wonderful dynamic to our city that we were lacking. And uh, something else that I love about it is I knew nothing about art before I became friends with her. And through her and her gallery, I have become an art lover. And I feel like I feel like there's a part of me that I have found that I didn't know was there before. And Cerulean has done, you know, some initiatives benefiting the park. Yes. And I believe that when Caroline was a guest on this show, she talked about the park, just like you are talking about Cerulean. So that's that's a nice full circle kind of moment. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful relationship and it's a beautiful relationship. And um, she does, she works very closely with us on our annual fundraiser. And we actually use art that our members have made here to auction off there. And then she makes her gallery available for us to, to use and to bring in that art dynamic I mean, that's what our members do, is they do mm-hmm. art and they do creative things. And so it's just a wonderful partnership, and I've really enjoyed working with her in, uh, in this way. Well, Valerie Gooch, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much. I had fun. Good. I have so much more to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we could do a second show sometime. <laughs> and that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Valerie Gooch for hosting our interview from her office at the park. Uh, You can find out more about the park by going to thepark.net, and that's park, P-A-R-C. Learn more about this podcast, of course, at heyamarillo.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at heyamarillo or on Instagram at Podcast. And if you appreciate the show, if, if, if you just like the idea of having a local podcast and you want to help me keep doing this, you can support it by becoming part of my Patreon community. Go to patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Through Patreon, executive producers of this podcast include Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Katie Linger, and Corey Burns. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.